You are Locked On Boston College, your daily podcast on the Boston College Eagles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Boston College your daily Boston College podcast. This is AJ Black here. Today we are going to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly from the Clemson game. We're going to look into what went right, what went wrong, and what was just ugh about Saturday's game. But before we do, let's get a little bit into our podcast. Again, if you are just joining us, Locked On Boston College is a daily podcast that comes out Monday through Friday while the uh, Boston College is in season in any sport. We're going to talk about everything Boston College, whether it's recruiting or opinions, analysis. I'm going to have guests later on this week. I'm going to have Dan Rubin from bceagles.com coming in to talk about Syracuse. And we're going to talk to Locked On Syracuse to talk about Saturday's game. If you haven't done so already, make sure you head to your favorite subscribe uh, directory to find Locked On Boston College and hit that subscribe button. And if you like what you're hearing, give us a five-star review. It really helps other people find us. So let's jump into our first topic today. We're going to look at what was good about Saturday's game. What were the things that went well? And, you know, in a game where Boston College had an 18-point lead, they blew it, Clemson won the game, it's hard sometimes to look back and look at the good. But if you take your your lenses off and adjust them just a little bit, you can see there were some really great moments and things to build off of. And, you know, I as as a journalist who just follows Boston College, you know, I'm a, I'm a BC grad myself, there were some great time, uh, things that happened that were, you know, wow moments. The first one was Brandon Sebastian. Now, in coverage, he didn't have the greatest game. You know, DJ Ugagalele, had 342 passing yards, so obviously the defense wasn't playing all that well. But Sebastian had that big moment. It was fourth and one on the goal line. I think everybody in the world thought Travis Etienne was going to get that ball and that Travis Etienne was going to punch that in. However, DJ Ugalele, he handed it off. Travis Etienne fumbles the ball. Brandon Sebastian comes up with the ball, and there is miles of daylight in front of him. I'm sure I can talk on behalf of Boston College fans everywhere. Even as someone who was trying to stay neutral, I was jumping up and down. That was a crazy moment. Boston College was up, um, you know, and this was gonna. This was a huge momentum swing. It looked like Clemson was gonna either take the lead or tie or whatever. And Boston College gets seven more points. It was one of those moments in the game where you looked at yourself and went, is that going to be that moment, that maybe Doug Flutie moment or Tyler Murphy against USC moment? That's what it felt like at that moment. It was that crazy. So Brandon Sebastian, I think, had a a good moment there. And he goes into my good category. Another one. The, the rushing defense, okay? So you're going to probably say, AJ, why are you putting that in there? They scored two touchdowns rushing the ball. Okay, I have my reasonings. Here they go. Travis Etienne was the focal point of that defensive plan. Jeff Halfley said it after the game. They were keying in on Travis Etienne. He only averaged four yards a carry through that game. 
for the most explosive running back in the country to go and just have that kind of mediocre game rushing, I'm not talking about passing, that is impressive for BC. I thought that the front seven did a really nice job stopping him and containing him. He had that big moment, but again, that came in the second half when the defense couldn't, the offense couldn't stay on the field. So, you know, it was bound to happen. He had that big run for 11 yards and he had a touchdown. Now, the other touchdown was that 30 yard run on uh, by DJ Yukalalali. And he, that play itself, again, I think it was just BC selling out to stop ETN on that play. I mean, if that was their goal through this whole game, that was clearly where they went with that run. Uh, they crashed down and they lost containment on uh, the quarterback who, you know, was able to just trot out for 30 yards. It was a gutsy play call by Tony Elliott in that Clemson offense. Um, but, you know, they made BC pay. I, you know, John Lamott was clearly out of place there, but if you watch the replay, he was clearly going right for ETN there. They were trying to win the game right there. That's all it was. If they stop ETN and they get the control of the ball, the momentum sticks with BC. So it was a chance that they took. It didn't work, but I thought the rushing defense in general was really good. Now, you know, other fans may laugh and joke about this. I'm going to put our punting game in there. Um, and our punter, excuse me, I'm not going to put the punting game in there because I'm going to get to them in a second. Grant Carlson, I think, has been a revelation this year. And you look at the stats, he's like middle of the road in terms of yards per punt. He's, you know, it's not what you see, what you read, it's what you see with Grant Carlson. And this is a kicker that over and over again has been excellent at flipping the field. And if it wasn't for two boneheaded penalties on holding in the fourth quarter he would have had some more big plays because he had back-to-back punts that were downed at the one yard line deep in the game if those plays held up who knows what would have happened with this game maybe bc was it would have been able to stop clemson's offense or caused a safety or you know made them play more conservatively in their own end zone but unfortunately we'll get to the penalties believe me this was not uh something that ends up on the stat sheet. But Carlson has done this all year long. And, you know, the punter doesn't get a lot of credit a lot of the times. And especially if you look at stats and you're like, oh, he doesn't kick 50-yard field goals. Watch his, watch what he does. If you're not a big fan of what he does yet, just watch how how effective he usually is when he kicks off uh, for punts. Uh, so Grant Carlson's also going to get on my, um, my list. The final person um, that I'm going to put on my good list in the Santa's good list or AJ's good list, if you want to call it that for this, is CJ Lewis. And if you've been listening to some of the BC Bulletin podcast that I was doing before with Eric Hofsis, I've talked about Lewis a lot. Um, he's been a revelation this year. Before this season, CJ Lewis was a run- wide receiver who I didn't think had the greatest hands. He was injured all of last year, and he came to BC as a converted quarterback. So he just seemed to me like a kid that would never really find his place when Jeff Halfley took over and he brought in Jalen Gill and, you know, they moved it to a pro-style offense. I just kind of assumed, because you couldn't see practice, that Lewis was not going to be a major part of that offense. How wrong I was. And I'm glad I'm wrong because I thought he has been fantastic this year. He has now four touchdowns. That catch he made against Clemson was incredible. You know, if you watch the play, 
he bobbles it because Clemson's defense defender was really in his face and was you know it was good coverage. He bobbles it and as it's going down, he reaches his very long arms out. T.J. Lewis is a big dude, six four, and grabs it, pulls it in. But what impressed me most was not only just his his hand eye coordination there was that he was able to keep his feet still so that they wouldn't jump out of bounds. What a catch! And having a guy like Lewis that can do this kind of stuff really opens up that passing game. You know, he is going to be a weapon. He is a guy on that roster that Boston College does not have another one of. Taji Johnson's going to be there eventually. He's the same size as C.J. Lewis. He's a true freshman. Lewis has been part of this offense for a while. He's a veteran. You know, I think to have four touchdowns on a guy that does not you are not expecting to do much for this offense really highlights what he's capable of doing and what kind of player he's going to be. So, you know... C.J. Lewis goes in my good category because I think he moving forward, he, you know, he's going to be a great foil for Zay Flowers and another great target. He's growing with Phil Dracovic. So look for him. I think he's going to be a big player moving forward. And you know who's going to be another big player moving forward? Coors Light. Coors Light is one of the beers I go to when I need to chill. When I'm watching college football, when I am watching the NFL and I'm just relaxing after a long day of writing or, you know, watching my little one go around, I reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. And sometimes you just need to hit that reset button. And the best way is an ice cold Coors Light. Even if your team isn't playing, you may see plenty of teams on TV and go, you know what? This is the perfect moment for me just to chill out. So when you're doing that, go to your, go to your fridge Grab that ice-cold Coors Light, and you will not regret that decision. Last night, I was watching... Actually, it was yesterday afternoon. Feels like last night with uh, Daylight Savings Time. I was watching the Patriots game, and they're brutal to watch. But you know what made it a lot easier? Just cracking a nice cold Coors Light. It's the, Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you need to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new delivered... Uh, look, delivered straight to your door at get.coreslight.com. Again, that's get.coreslight.com. You can get it delivered right to your door. How great is that? You need to re- celebrate responsibly at Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, we're talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly in Saturday's game against Boston College and Clemson. Before we get into the next segment, just as a little preview, we're going to have Eric Hofsis on on Thursday, and we're going to have the Syracuse guys from Locked On Syracuse for Friday, and we're probably going to have Dan Rubin on Thursday as well. So there's a lot coming up on Wednesday. I had promised you yesterday, and I'm going to continue making sure I fulfill my promise. We're going to talk about recruiting. So if you want to get yourself caught up in Boston College recruiting, get to know the names of who is uh, coming through and where they stand, you're going to want to stop by tomorrow because I have a whole episode for you to catch up on Boston College recruiting. All right, we went through the good. Now let's get into the nitty-gritty, the bad. All right, if you watched that game like I did, the first thing that stepped that stood out to me in terms of bad were the self-inflicted penalties. Boston College had 11 penalties for 92 yards. Now these penalties haven't been just an issue this game. It's been an pe- issue all year long. And to give you a little bit of context, let's look at the stats, okay? Boston College right now is 89th out of the teams that are playing in penalty yardage and penalties called per game. Now, how bad is that? Last year under Steve Adazio, they were 6th in penalties. So you can see 
in just a year, penalties have become a major issue for this team, and it was a big factor in Saturday's game. As we mentioned in the good section, Grant Carlson had two booming kicks, kicks that could have flipped the field and put Boston College defense in a position to stop Clemson, but they were called back because of holding penalties. And there were pass interference penalties. There were all sorts of penalties called against Boston College. Now, again, I've talked about this before, but I, you know, many of you are new, so let's get into it. Jeff Halfley has, when he talks about penalties, he he puts them in two buckets. Okay, there are the acceptable penalties, and there are the unacceptable penalties. Acceptable penalties, in Jeff Halfley's eyes, are those pass interference calls. Okay, he has his defenders, the secondary, playing tight on on wide receivers so he knows it's going to happen it's part of the game he can live with those the penalties that he can't live with are the stupid penalties okay and those are personal fouls those are holding pre-snap infractions and i believe there were only two penalties out of those 11 that go into the good bucket and those were pass interference calls called against brandon sebastian and jason matry on top of that, you had illegal blocks, you had a substitution infraction, you had a personal foul, you had a handful of hold, you had holding and false starts, intentional grounding. I think actually we'll put intentional grounding into the the not stupid penalties because honestly, that was just, you know, Jakovic's going down. He just tried to make something happen. So, you know, do you want to see that happen? No, but I don't think of it as a stupid penalty. So a good chunk of those penalty yards were preventable. Like those personal fouls, I know the defense, he gets that defense playing at a high level with a lot of emotion. And it seems like every game you get a moment where they kind of boil over and make a stupid penalty. You've seen it with McDuffie a few times. You've seen it with a lot of the defenders. Um, Marcus Valdez last week did it. Um, you you got to learn to control that. And if you're talking to Jeff Halfley, he'll always say that's his responsibility to slow that down, to get that to stop. So, uh, unfortunately, that is that goes into bad. You know, BC needs to clean up their game. If they're going to beat a team like Clemson, a team that does not make mistakes, and when they do get mistakes on the other end, they make you pay. And getting 11 penalties and 92 yards of free offense or free yardage you're not going to beat Clemson. So this is something, you know, we're looking ahead to Notre Dame. Two weeks we have Notre Dame on the schedule. BC cannot go out there and make 11 penalties. They need to clean that up. And I don't know what Halfley has to do to drive that home because getting off the field or getting behind the sticks on offense is not a recipe for success on a team built like Boston College. They need every yard they can get. They can't be playing, you know, second and 15, second and 25, I think I saw at one point. They've got to clean that up. The second bad that I'm going to give is to the play calling late in the game. Now, I don't think, I mentioned this on Monday's episode, I don't think of this deep, the offensive play calling as turtling or Steve Adazio-like. I saw that. That's a bunch of buoy. I think that this offense played, the play calling just wasn't the right play calling, okay? And there was a few things that I particularly didn't like, okay? First of all, on fourth and fourth down, that play call where they had Jerkovic, instead of taking a, you know, a smaller chunk, actually it was on third down first, on third down, instead of going for a sizable chunk, try to get some of those yardage back with a short pass, maybe a run, 
they bombed it, and then they bombed it again on fourth down. Those are low percentage plays, when you, especially when you're playing a secondary like Clemson. I know it was there in the first half. It wasn't there in the second. So that wasn't conservative play calling I saw. It was just not the right call there. I would have much rather seen BC go for a high percentage throw or a couple runs or anything that was a better percentage when you're when you're at that position in the game. Okay. On the other end, there were other play calls. I just, again, I just, I didn't like it. You know, when Djokovic got nailed on that uh, run and they had to bring in Dennis Grossell, I thought that was, you, you can't do a sweep with your quarterback or, or a zone read with your quarterback against a speed like Clemson. Clemson's flying to the ball at that point. If you're going to run with Djokovic, you need to go up the middle. You need to not let their edge rushers get to you because those the D- Clemson was all over that, and we got real lucky that Djokovic didn't get hurt because he got slammed on that play. Now, um, the, the intentional grounding in the end zone, I, I've heard, I think Halfley was mentioned, he talked about a play, I think it was this one. He mentioned that that was a screen pass, and it was supposed to go to Travis Levy, uh, but he hit, um, I, I think it was Zion Johnson, and then they got the intentional grounding, it was a safety. You know, I I don't know. At that point, it was it was tough. You know, I don't know. It was hard to see on TV where Zay Flowers was because he kind of vanished the second half. And you know, when you have good defenders like Clemson, they're going to take away your best weapon. So Zay Flowers and Hunter Long were just they were not as effective as you'd want. So that second half play calling, I wasn't the biggest fan. But I'm not going to say it's because they were too conservative because I didn't really think they were. I, I some of the runs I thought were you know, just trying to keep. Clemson off, honest. Um, but you know, when you're playing a team like that, you got to try different things. They did. It just didn't work. When we come back, we're going to look at our last segment, the ugly. What was just ugly about this game? Locked on Boston College, this is AJ Black, and we're back to talk about the ugly. What were the ugly parts of Saturday's game against Clemson? The first aspect I really want to look at was the hits that Phil Dracovic took near the end of that game. I counted at least two or three massive shots he took. There was the one that he took on that third down play when he ran to the outside and got leveled right before Dennis Grossell came in. And then there was the second time he got hit, which was the very end of the game, the one where he got hit for the safety for intentional grounding. I don't know about you. I know he's a big guy. You know, he's 6'4", 6'5", almost 250 pounds. But he takes some big-time shots, and I know he only missed a play, but it seemed like, you know, playing against guys like Clemson, he was going to get knocked out of that game. And let me tell you, I love Dennis Grossell. He's one of the nicest guys that we interviewed over the summer at some of the press conferences, and he says and does all the right things. But unfortunately, his ceiling and Dracovic's ceilings are very different. And if we lose Dracovic, the end of the season looks drastically different because Grossell is not the type of pinpoint passer that Dracovic is. So you you have to hold your breath when he takes hits like that. Now, he's a big guy. You know, like you've seen Ben Roethlisberger size uh, comparisons made. He can take hits. I just worry one of these ones is going to be the one that knocks him out. And that's going to really put a hamper on the rest of the season if he, you know, if we lose him. So that was a big one that I thought, you know, keeping your quarterback healthy and 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 not 
having him gone for some of these big games coming up. The second ugly part is more ugly in terms of what Boston College and the rest of the ACC is going to have to face for the rest of the next three years or so, and that is the emergence of DJ Ugalagalele. Uh, Ugalalele. Again, I am trying really hard with his name, and I apologize. Um, He's awesome. I was so impressed with the way he played yesterday, uh, on Saturday, and... He's going to, you know, he has a ceiling. Just watching him, he looks like he's going to have a ceiling around where Trevor Lawrence is. And we've already seen what Trevor Lawrence can do. So I think based off of some of the other recruiting that Clemson's done, you know, they're going to bring in more and more blue chip recruits. They've got a great coaching staff. It's hard to see who's going to unseat them coming out of this year. Uh, You know, Lawrence is going to be gone, but they've got the heir apparent already, and he's going to be battle tested. I mean, he's got this game. Lawrence is going to miss the game against Pitt, uh, not Pitt, Notre Dame. He's going to get it, and he's going to already, you know, have some of those growing uh, pains out of the way before he start becomes the starter next year and look out ACC because it's going to be Clemson and everyone else again for a couple more years, and that's that's ugly. <laughs> you know, I don't know how many more years of Clemson not losing can we take, but it looks like it's going to continue. So those are my uglies for the for the week. Now, let's go over just some quick notes um, about some BC news that have, that's come along. Um, unfortunately, while we were recording this, Tom Pellicero announced that DJ, uh, DJ AJ Dillon, running back, who we all know from Boston College, contracted uh, COVID-19, and he's going to miss a couple weeks. So our best wishes are out to him. Uh, you never hate you hate seeing things like that. And Dylan, he's been the backup at Green Bay for the last, you know, for this year. And he's been thir- third on the depth chart for most of it. Uh, he's rushed for just under 100 yards for the year. Um, hopefully he'll get back onto the field. And uh, Boston College just, as we're recording as well, landed a new uh, walk-on. His name is um, Jack Brandon, a quarterback from Cheshire, Connecticut, who uh, they landed as a walk-on. According to 247, he had an offer from Ohio State but no other offers. I have to look at that and think that that offer was probably as a walk-on as well. Um, he's a three-star according to uh, the 247 ranking system. So that's a good little uh, get there for BC. And um, yeah, so that kind of wraps up. So we had our good, our bad, and our ugly today. Later on this week, tomorrow, we're going to record into a whole episode based just on recruiting. So if you're a recruitnik and you like hearing about what's going on at Boston College, you're going to want to check out our episode on Wednesday. On Thursday, uh, we're going to have Dan Rubin on to talk about um, the, his take on Boston College, where they're at. We're going to look probably at a little bit of the Syracuse game. He was an old host of mine before Eric on the BC Interruption Podcast way back in the day. We have a great rapport, so you're going to really want to check that out. We're going to also have Eric Hofsis back in. He's going to give us his take on the Syracuse game, and we'll talk a little bit about the end of the week stuff with him. And then we're going to talk to Locked On Syracuse. So there's a ton of stuff. You know, people ask me, they're like, AJ, how are you going to be able to do a BC podcast every day? How are you going to find the content for that? I'm showing you, I'm telling you, that's six guests we've had already we're going to have on this week. And I've got some other big ones coming up. So keep you, you're going to want to be uh, tuned in to Locked On Boston College 
where you're going to get all your Boston College news. You're not going to get anywhere else, okay? We're going to give you everything that you need here in this 20, 25-minute podcast that you can use to get yourself informed, to get you you know, motivated in the morning, and hopefully you enjoy everything that we have. We're going to probably start doing a mailbag soon as well, so if you have questions, you can always hit me up at bostoncollegesi at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at AJBlack underscore BC. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at LockedOnBC, and you can follow my website, BC Bulletin at Boston College SI. So this is AJ Black. We're signing off for today. We'll see you again for Wednesday. Hope you're ready to talk some recruiting. Take care, everyone.